Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. Wow, what a wonderful God we serve, amen? His faithfulness has been great again this week. And uh, thank you for whoever said amen. And uh, I look up in the window, and he's going to be mad that I say anything. But I look up in the crow's nest, so to speak, and I'm reminded as we sing Great is Thy Faithfulness, and I look out at Karen and the boys, and, and McKinley's not sitting there out there, is she? No, <laughs> she's upstairs. God's faithfulness, uh, even to us this week. Many of you don't know, he's sitting up there, and he's doing his, his oversight uh, this morning. Last Sunday, you saw Jason Taylor. This morning, you see Jason Taylor. Last Sunday afternoon, Jason Taylor decided that he was going to try and have a massive heart attack. <laughs> and the Lord was great. His faithfulness was great. He was at a, uh, I don't know if I should say where he was at, <laughs> a tactical shooting, obstacle course kind of thing. And uh, in the group with him was a physician. In the group were other individuals who were skilled EMTs, and, and the reality is uh, his widow maker, as they say, they call it a widow maker for a reason. You understand that, right? If they refer to the widow maker, it's because it makes widows. It was 100% blocked. And as he coded and they kept doing CPR and bruising his chest and whatnot, the Lord was in it all the time. Amen provided the right people at the right time, at the right place, and they got him to Prince William Hospital, to the cath lab. I mean, this, this just, uh, you can't make this up. The cath lab, and in a short amount of time, they had figured out what was going on, and they had already done the surgery to insert a stent. And by the time I got there Sunday evening after our business meeting, I made my way to Prince William Hospital, and I walked in, and I expected to see, I don't know what I expected to see, really. Uh, but I didn't expect to see Jason sitting there talking to me. And he was laying there, and uh, aside from the soreness and some fluid and whatnot on the lungs and everything, at that time, the Lord had, had preserved his life. Great is his faithfulness. Reminds me also, and he's already moved, but he's down here now, that the Lord's not through with Jason. Man, he's got, more, he's got more for you to do, Jason. And so he said, good. And, uh, and so we're thankful for his faithfulness. This week, uh, interestingly enough, I want to ask you to pray for some of our family and friends here at Battlefield. I want to ask you to continue to be praying for Vicki Wilcox as uh, she's been going through a number of testings and and season of just uh, her health has not been where she's desired it. So I'd ask you to pray for her. I know that on Thursday, I believe, Barry 
Uh, Barlow will be traveling to Philadelphia to have surgery. Uh, this is about, I don't know, I can't keep count, fifth or sixth surgery that he's had uh, in, in this regard. And so I'd ask that you be praying for Barry. Last week I was able to sit after services. See, you never know what's going on behind the heart's door of people. But last Sunday after service I sat up here with one of our men whose wife just found out that her brain tumors have returned. And this Thursday she'll be going for an appointment in MRI at Fairfax Hospital. And so I'd ask you to keep Mary Felons in prayer. I'm also reminded that this Thursday, it seems like everything's happening on Thursday. Wanda's sister out here and Alice, uh, their sister Tammy is going to be having a stint put in her heart uh, this coming Thursday. And so a lot of things taking place Thursday. And then uh, I saw, I think Brother Brian Preston, did he, I see him come in and we think about his dad, Elmer, and, uh, or Pap, <laughs> we just call him Pap, and uh, dealing with the infection uh, in his blood, and, and so I'd ask you to pray for him. I was thinking about Mark this morning with his RA and the treatments that he continues to get, and, and he's up here playing the bass, and his hands are hurting all the time, and so just so many other people, and then I want to thank you. I want to thank those who kept me in prayer this week. Unfortunately, I had to have a surgery unexpected on Tuesday. Uh, woke up Sunday night, was sick, didn't think anything about it, and then woke up again Monday in the middle of the night after, I guess it was the upward coaches meeting, got me. <laughs> and uh, woke up sick and then ended up having surgery on Tuesday. And, and so I'm very, very thankful for the faithfulness of our God. And I'm thankful that he's allowed us to be here this morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. And once you get to Isaiah 9, I want you to hold your finger there. That's where we'll start. That's where we'll finish, Lord willing. <laughs> and then I want you to turn over and put a finger in Matthew chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 9 and then Matthew chapter 1 in the precious word of God this morning. And we're going to begin by looking at one verse, one verse in Isaiah chapter 9 and most of those who have heard messages or sermons around Christmas time already probably guessed the verse that we're going to go to in Isaiah chapter 9. But notice with me in verse number 6, very briefly as we get started this morning, the Bible says in verse number 6, For unto us a child is born. What I need you to understand right away is that this is speaking of Jesus' humanity. This is foretelling the Savior's birth, 700 plus years in advance. But when it says, for unto us a child is born, it's speaking of Jesus, the, the, the Son of Man, the, the, the human aspect of Jesus. It says, for a child is born, but then notice it says, unto us a son is given. This is referencing his deity as Almighty God, amen? And so notice in context, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isn't that good? Man, that's quite a name, wouldn't you say? That's quite a name. They just call me Greg. I just tell my wife, don't call me late for supper, right? What a name, wonderful, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. God, we thank you. 
We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. We thank you for the very truth of your word that reminds us of these things, that tells us of that great love wherewith you loved us, even while we were yet sinners, in that you sent Christ to die in our place. God, we thank you for the season of Christmas, the opportunity that we get to worship, the, the joy that we get from worshiping the Christ of Christmas. God, I pray that today that you will work in our hearts, that you will speak to us individually and corporately. God, that your word will accomplish exactly what you desire it to accomplish today. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room that has never understood your greatness, that has never called out upon the name of the Lord, somebody watching online, somebody listening to this message, God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. God, that you would move and you would work in that person's life, that they would understand their need and that they would call upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I pray for the believer that has maybe gotten, gotten kind of swayed off path by all the things that are taking place in this nation, in this country, in this, in this world. Maybe, maybe their focus has been skewed or taken out of, out, of, uh, out of context in a way by looking at other things. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts. God, that you would move in their life, that you would remind them of your love, that you would remind them of the Christ of Christmas. Lord, I pray that you'll be with me. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, God, because you are my strength and you are my redeemer, and I give you the praise for it all. In the precious name of your son Jesus and for his sake, amen and amen. Well, on the offset, let me just say this. Names are important. Names are important. In fact, in our culture, uh, you think about name brands, you think about domain names, name recognition. In fact, they're all a part of big business. But not only are name brands, name recognition, domain names a part of big business, you know what we get caught up in doing? We do a lot of name dropping. Anybody ever get a job dropping a name? Hey, you know, I knew Chuck, uh, you know. Chuck knows me from way back. And, oh, you know Chuck? Okay, all right, you're not getting hired, but whatever. All right, you know, you know, we drop names all the time. We we throw names around, and names are really important. But names are so much more than just a company name, a donate name, a, 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 a an opportunity to drop a name. There's so much more than that. In fact, Scripture tells us in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number one that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. It's speaking of the value of a good name. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 1, the Bible says a good name is better than precious ointment. Listen, it's again, it's referencing the value of a good name. And the reality is whether you want to admit it or not, names evoke feelings in our lives. Sometimes they evoke and bring about feelings that aren't so good. And sometimes they're positive based on the person, but honestly, I'm not real sure I spend a lot of time thinking about names. Typically, the only time we spend time thinking about names is if we're going to have a child or if we're buying a puppy or a cat. Okay. Okay, I'll be inclusive. Pet. If you're getting a pet, you may 
Be like me who spent way too much time trying to figure out my puppy's name. Only to have a lot of people look at me as confused when I tell them his name. Right? The reality is names are important. It was William Shakespeare in his tragedy, Romeo and Juliet. Here's what he asked. He said, what is in a name? That which, is, that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So what he's saying is, no matter whether it was a rose or no matter whether it was called a dandelion, it would still smell the same. Names are pretty important. And there's only one name. There's only one name in this universe. There's only one name worthy of our praise. There's only one name worthy of our honor. And that's the name of Jesus. Amen. I believe that Bill and Gloria Gaither had it right years ago in 1970 when they said there's just something about that name. Oh, you might have felt like I was going to come out a little weak this morning. But no greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Oh, there's something about the name of Jesus this morning. Oh, we celebrate the name of Jesus at Christmas because there is no other reason for the season. It was Layla Long in her 1925 hymn, here's what she said about the name of Jesus. She said, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name. And that's the reason why I love him so. Oh, Jesus, it's the sweetest name I know. Oh, yes, Isaiah reveals back in our text, in verse number 6, reveals a number of things about this child, the Christ child, who is still yet to come. We're talking about 700 years in advance. Isaiah is reminding us that our Savior, the Christ child, is going to be wonderful. He's going to be counselor. He's going to be the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Oh, my friends, his name is synonymous with being wonderful. His name is synonymous with being a counselor to you and to me. Listen, we, I, I believe, I've said this, that we look for love in all the wrong places, but I also believe we look for wisdom in all the wrong places too. Oh, listen, if you need counsel this morning, quit looking at books, quit looking at authors, quit looking at the radio, quit listening to TV uh, personalities, keep listening and start listening maybe to Jesus, the great counselor of our soul. Man, I might get fired up after all. His name, guys, his name is synonymous with being the mighty God. The everlasting father. That doesn't make sense. Isaiah is talking about a child. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He's talking to us about a baby. And yet he references this baby as the everlasting father and our prince of peace. In other words, he, was saying, he wasn't saying that this child was going to have multiple names. He was saying that this child's name was going to have meaning. Oh, my friends, in the Old Testament, the word translated, it's interesting. The, in the Old Testament, the word translated as name actually means a mark or brand. You see that? It means a mark or brand. And, and so whether you and I realize it or not, you and I, we have all been marked. We have all been branded in a sense. Not necessarily by our name, but by our actions. You know, my name is Greg, but Greg doesn't brand me. 
That's just a name. That's just an identifier. That was just a way for my parents to keep us children straight. Like, who are you? Okay, Greg, get over here. Who are you? You get over here. That's just, a, that's just a way to identify us. What really branded me, what really marks me, is how I behave as a child of the king. You see, because not only have I been branded by my name and my actions, I've been branded by my identification in Christ. See, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be a good representative of Christ. I think about other names in Scripture. You think about the name David. It means beloved. You think about God when he changed Abram's name to Abraham. The name Abraham actually means father of a multitude. Hello. I mean, it's pretty consistent with Scripture. You think about uh, Jacob. That name actually means he that grabs feet, the supplanter. In other words, he's, he was referenced, his name meant that he was going to try and trip somebody up. And that's exactly what he did to his brother Esau. But this morning, as I said, I really only want us to consider one name and one name only, and that's the name of Jesus. So go to where I asked you to hold your finger. Go back over to Matthew chapter 1. Over in Matthew chapter 1, I want you to see a few verses of Scripture as we considered this name of Jesus. Look at verse number 18. And obviously here... Uh, we're, we're interrupting kind of a conversation that's getting ready to take place. Look at verse number 18, and the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. We talked about that last week. The idea that Christ was born of a virgin and does it really matter? And so, yes, we said it matters. And so, look at verse number 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, was not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in dreams, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She's not a cheater. She's not an adulteress. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She is going to bear God's son. This is what Gabriel is telling Joseph at this point. Look at verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Verse 22, now all of this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Verse 24, then Joseph, being raised from sleep, look what he did. He actually did what the angel told him. Did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, look at verse 25, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So in this conversation between Gabriel and Joseph, Gabriel tells Joseph, hey, listen, my friend, I understand Jewish culture. I understand that you're probably confused as to why Mary is turned up pregnant. I understand all these things, but what you need to understand is she is pregnant with God's child. And guess what? I know in Jewish culture, it's a big deal to name kids. By the way, some of us would say it's a big deal to name our children. I mean, I don't know. Krista, I'm, I feel like I let you down. I mean... We didn't really, we really didn't give it 
all the thought that a lot of people do. Like everybody's, you know, like which prophet am I going to name my son after? Or what, you know, what am I going to do, right? Uh, we went with Colby. You know, his, his actual name means Colby of the black farm. Casey, we're not real sure what that means. All right? We picked it because it started with a C. All right? But the reality is Gabriel tells, he tells Joseph, he says, guess what? I understand that naming your child for you and Mary would be a big deal in Jewish culture. However, what you need to know is that God has already given his son a name. And your job is just to call him by the name that God has already given him. Amen? Oh, listen, uh, scripture is consistent because this is exactly what Gabriel tells Mary in Luke chapter 1 in verse 31. Notice, he says, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. He's talking to Mary here. And he says, And thou shalt call his name Jesus. So there's supposed to be no confusion as to what his name would be. Why? Because the name of Jesus is significant. You say, why is it significant? Well, I hear a lot of people talking about God these days. But not a lot of people talking about Jesus. I got news for you. Without Jesus, everything crumbles. In Philippians, you say, where do you get that from? Well, I actually try to get it from Scripture. Because in Philippians chapter 2, in verse number 9, here's what the Bible says. In Philippians 2, it says, Wherefore God also has highly, watch this, exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and given him, speaking of Jesus, a name which is what? I don't mean to burst anybody's bubble, but that means his name is better than mine. His name is greater than mine. His name is bigger than mine. His name is stronger than mine. His name is everything more than mine, right? He says he's given him a name above every name. Watch it, verse 10, that at the name, it's pretty important. You say, why are you talking about last week? You're talking about the birth of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ. Now this week, you're picking on his name. Why? Because it's pretty important. Because it says that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, whether I, whether you, or whether anybody ever trusts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior on this earth, there's coming a day, there's coming a day when they will confess the name of Jesus. There, Hey, it ain't about me, it's all about him. There's coming a day when Jesus' name will be made much of. Woo, what a day that's going to be. You know what, I'm going to be in the choir. You say, you like the choir, don't you? Yeah, I, I like hanging out in the choir. You ought to join the choir. We have a good time. But I'm going to be in the choir of the redeemed. I'm going to be singing a song, a special song that has been reserved for me, a child of the king. And we're going to sing his praises. We're going to sing of his glory. We're going to sing of his power. We're going to sing of his majesty. We're going to sing of everything that he is. Woo! What a day that's going to be when my Jesus I shall see when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. Oh, what a day that's going to be. I might get carried away this morning. Over in Acts chapter 4, you remember the story you got the priest, you got the leaders, the elders, you got all the big hanyats of the day in Acts chapter 4. They're interrogating, they're in questioning uh, Peter and John and, and these guys. And you remember in Acts chapter 3, 
they come to the temple and there's a man, there's a lame guy there and he's, he's begging for alms. He wants some money. And uh, Peter says, listen, silver and gold have we none. But such as we do have, here's what I'm going to give you. I don't have money. I don't have gold. I don't have any notoriety. But I've got Jesus. So I'm going to give you Jesus. Now here's what you're going to do. You're going to get up and walk. And guess what? They didn't like it. They didn't like it at all. You remember they throw him in jail. But in Acts chapter 4, I digress. These jokers, they start questioning him. You got all the leaders, the rulers, the priests, the scribes, and all these people they've gathered together. And they start questioning the disciples about what they have just done. But if you look in Acts chapter 4, listen to what verse 8 and following. In fact, let me go over there. In verse 8 and following in Acts chapter 4. If you want to look at it, you can join me. In Acts chapter 4, verse 8 and following, the Bible says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the... What did he say? He said that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by the way, whom you crucified, you're the one that shouted for his death. Remember Barabbas? You're the ones that released Barabbas. You're the ones that crucified Jesus. He said, whom God raised from the dead, verse number 10, even by him, Jesus, does this man stand here before you whole. Watch what he says in verse 11. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. Y'all didn't think it was important. You didn't give him the time of day. You discounted him. You discredited him. You, you doubted him. And here he says, this stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must save. Woo! Listen, there is no other name. Listen, it's... It's an exclusive name. Watch this. It's an exclusive name, but it's an inclusive message. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Listen, God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't care about your bank account. He doesn't care about your good looks. He doesn't care about what car you drive or what house you live in. He doesn't care about the clothes you wear. What he cares about is do you know him? Do you trust him? Do you believe in him? Do you recognize Jesus, the name above all names, as your Lord and Savior? That's what makes a difference with Almighty God. Look at verse 12. You say, where do you get this stuff? You're kind of wild. Weirding me out today, Pastor. I think this surgery has made you kooky. You're kind of flipping me out. I'm not real sure. My wife says I always preach better when I'm sick anyway. I don't know if that's a compliment. I'm not real sure. I'm not real sure. <laughs> oh, it is okay. I'll take it as a compliment. Look at verse 12. Neither, neither is there salvation in any other. Just stop. We don't need to continue the verse. If you're here, can I just stop? This, this, this isn't the invitation, but I'm going to make it the invitation. If you don't know Jesus, can I beg you? 
neither is there any salvation. Verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no salvation in any other thing that you think is going to get you or me to heaven. Only Jesus takes us to heaven. And by the way, I don't deserve it. What I deserve is to be cast out into outer darkness to a devil's hell because of my sin. But his mercy is great. His mercy is great wherewith he loved me. And he gave himself for me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. There's nothing I can do. The Bible says there is neither any salvation in any other. It's either Jesus or nothing. You say, man, that's pretty closed-minded. Listen, I'm just trying to believe what God says, all right? I ain't trying to please anybody except for Jesus Christ. And can I tell you? The people who would condemn me and say that's pretty narrow-minded, they don't care about my soul. And they don't care about your soul. If they want to keep you away from this book and this message, can I tell you, I'm just being real honest, they're really not your friend. We're celebrating Christmas because of Christ. We... We, we decorate and we celebrate and we give presents in recognition of the greatest gift that we've received, the unspeakable gift. We do all of this because of Jesus. There is no other reason why we do this. There is no other reason under the sun that could get Travis to build all of these trees except for Jesus. Even if we do take them to the beach and sell them. Hmm. Watch verse 12. I'm not even where I want to be yet. Look at verse 12. Neither is there salvation. That word salvation is the Greek word soteria. Soteria. It actually means rescue or safety. Now let's read it. Neither is there any rescue or safety in any other. For none other name under heaven given among men. There is none other name given among, under heaven among men whereby we must save, where we, whereby we must be saved. This idea of soteria, this idea of being rescued, this idea of being brought to safety by a deliverer. In fact, that word actually is pulled out of another Greek word which actually speaks of Jesus Christ as our deliverer, God or Christ as our Savior being the deliverer, the rescuer, the one who brings you and me to safety. The reality is, verse 12 is saying, there is no other way for you or for me to get to safety other than Jesus. Yeah. Oh, I'd say his name's pretty important. There's just something about that name. It was Sandy Patty in the chorus of her song years ago, In the Name of the Lord. Some of you remember that. Some of y'all. I, I, I've sung tenor. I remember one time I tried to sing that. I got about halfway through it, and it's so high, you can't even think about finishing that song. But in the course of that song, she speaks of this. She says, there is strength 
in the name of the Lord. There is power in the name of the Lord. There is hope in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why? Because there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby you, whereby me, whereby anyone else must be saved other than the name of Jesus. If you're a note taker, write this down. You say, you haven't even given us any notes. I'll give it to you right now. <laughs> Very quickly, notice with me that his name exposes his character. His name exposes his character because in Matthew chapter 1, we already read it in verse 23. Here's what the Bible says. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name. He's referencing what the prophet Isaiah says here from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And he says, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Remember last week I said this is the least known name of Jesus, but it was the first name that God gave his son, right? So Emmanuel comes out of the, the, uh, the word incarnation, two Latin words meaning in and carne, in, to be in or within, and speaking of flesh. And so the idea of being God with us. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you drop down to verse number 14 of John chapter 1, it says, And the Word, speaking of Jesus, was made flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we beheld him as of the only begotten of the Father. And when they beheld him, they said he was full of two things. He was full of grace and truth. I tell people all the time, all truth and no love is a bully, and all love and no truth is a hypocrite. Jesus was neither. He was full of grace and truth. Jesus was not just another child. He was the Son of God, the supernatural baby who was delivered to earth by supernatural means. Last week, I pointed out the importance of the virgin birth and how it cannot be overstated. And I kind of said it, but... I, I kind of forgot because the platform's redone. We no longer have the choir doors here on the platform. But the reality is that Jesus Christ is the hinge pin. His virgin birth is the hinge pin to you and I being in Christ as believers. See, if you don't believe in the virgin birth, don't tell me you believe in the resurrection. We talked about this last week. And because of Adam's sin, there was no other way that God could send his son to us. You see, a human father would not and could not suffice. And so God had no choice. He said, listen, I have to send my son, my sinless, my spotless son, to take care of the sin of the world. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the Bible says, For hereunto you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Verse 22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Listen, there's some good medicine in there for us. There's some good medicine there for us. Look, it says, he did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, it goes on. It says, not only was there no gal in his mouth, it says that when he was reviled, he reviled not again. Listen, you don't have to answer everybody. When somebody reviles you, listen, don't get caught up in the fray. You're a king's kid. I don't need to get caught up in the fray. By the way, I'm not calling anyone specifically a fool, but the Bible says don't answer a fool after their folly. 
I don't have time to deal with people who are trying to revile me because, and here's the reality, the reason they most opportunistically will revile us is because of Jesus. They'll revile you because of your faith. You say, well, that's not happening in America. Somebody needs to wake up because it's really, it's a clear and present danger. Look at verse 23. It says, He reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. Verse 24, who his own self bare our sins in his body on the tree that you and me, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. This is very consistent with what we find all the way back in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 5, which tells us that he was wounded for our transgressions, that he was bruised for our iniquity, that the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Isn't that good? We're healed by his stripes. He took them for us. He didn't have to, but he did. Hebrews says, Hebrews 4.15 says that we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Oh, yes, his name exposes his character. His name also, secondly, reminds us of his most wonderful work. In verse 21, in our text, Matthew 1, in 21, the Bible says, And thou shalt call his name Jesus. Well, why are we calling his name Jesus? Gabriel says, here's the reason. You're going to call his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Speaking again of God, the Son of God as our deliverer, the Son of God as being our Savior. Listen, I don't know what this world has confused us to think, but Jesus' mission was not to come and to condemn anyone. You're like, oh man, uh, you don't really preach a condemning gospel. Well, that's because I don't find a condemning gospel. You're like, oh man, I've been to some Baptist churches, put it in air quotes, and they seem very angry. They seem very, listen, I don't know what they're angry about. They ought to be excited. They ought to be excited that they're headed for heaven because of Jesus. And yet people, you know, I say it all the time, misery loves company. Jesus' mission was not to condemn anyone. In fact, in John chapter 3, in verse number 16, I mean, by the way, in my Bible it's red, which means what? These are the actual words of Jesus. He's actually testifying to this. And here's what Jesus says. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave me. Think about it for a second. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who's his only begotten son? Jesus said, that's me. God so loved the world that he gave me that whosoever believeth in me should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, if you go to verse 17, you can continue the process. For God sent not his son, me, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. In verse 18, he goes on. He says, he that believeth on me is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in my name. Is what he's basically saying. In the name of the only begotten Son of God. Oh, listen, this is the very heartbeat of God. And nothing has changed. In fact, I think about we, uh, 1 Peter and 1 and 18 and 19 and 20 alludes to the fact that you and I are not uh, redeemed by corruptible things. 
by things that are incorruptible. In verse 20 of that passage says that it was who was fairly who barely was foreordained before the foundation of the world was made manifest in these last times for you. Jesus was made manifest for you and for me. By the way, it was always God's plan. You say, "Oh, did he have no other plan?" No, this was the plan. He doesn't need a second plan. He's God. You know how you and I, we like to have plan A, B, C, and D? I think we'd do better if we just trust Jesus. The reason we typically come up with plan A, B, and C, and D is because many times we're trying to operate under our own wisdom, under our own uh, ability, our own strength. We think, oh, we can do this in our own power. Listen, I can't do anything without Jesus, and neither can you. Oh, listen. It's always God's plan. In Luke chapter 4 and verses 18 and 19, Jesus spoke about his purpose of being sent. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Oh yes, Jesus gave himself, as Titus 2.14 says, he gave himself to redeem us or to rescue us from all iniquity and to purify in himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Oh yes, this is all a part of Jesus' plan. In Christ, we're saved by grace. We're saved through faith. We're saved from sin, the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin. We're saved to sonship. Listen, ladies, I don't want to make you feel upset, but it's a good thing that we are saved to sonship. That's talking about our adoption in Jesus Christ, which means the Father can never, ever, ever disown us. Oh, that'll preach. That's a controversial topic, but we could talk about adoption all you want in the Jewish culture and what's being said there. We're saved for service as well. Jesus went to the cross. He placed upon himself the sin that he didn't deserve. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, right? And he rose again three days later, conquering death, hell, and the grave. He ascended back into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day he's coming again. He's coming again for you and me. What a plan. What a Savior. Oh, listen, what a name. The name of Jesus. The reality is that sin destroys our relationship with God, doesn't it? I would dare say this. Not only does sin destroy our relationship with God, sin destroys our relationship with one another. And here's another one that we probably don't think much about. Sin destroys ourselves. When we, when we live and when we bask and we, we live in, in, in just continual sin. We are hurting ourselves. We are hurting others. We have fractured. We, we have fractured this relationship that Jesus purchased. Listen, 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's me, that's you. And when we consider to think about it all, it boggles my mind to think that Jesus Christ was born to die. And yet that's exactly what he was born for. He was born to die for us. Scripture reveals that Jesus performs works that only God can do. Forgiveness and spiritual life, raising the dead and judgment. We could go on and on and on. 
But why does he do all of these things? He does them because they are all a part of his wonderful, wondrous work in you and me. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he shall save his people from their sins. And then finally, his name declares his sovereignty. And when we speak of Jesus' sovereignty, we're talking about his power. We're talking about his dominion. We're talking about his rule. In Isaiah 9, 6, back to the passage again, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name singular shall be called plurally, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In other words, Jesus is all of them at the same time you ever you ever been around somebody and you say man that dude's funny and then the next time you're around them they're like what's he all angry about kind of hard to be funny and angry at the same time right man that man that that mother she's so loving and yet the next time she, she you're like oh mm, don't get under her skin or maybe it's dad don't get under dad's skin he let you have it, right? The reality is it's hard for us to be angry and funny, angry, happy, to, to be this or to be that all at the same time. And yet scripture says that Jesus is all of these things at the same time. He's wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. He's prince of peace. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am. He's all of these things. I mean, we can go on and on thinking about the names of Jesus. But notice, Isaiah says that he's wonderful. And so just notice this with me really quick. He's supernaturally wonderful. It's speaking of his nature as the God-man, his teachings. It astonished people. You remember after Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 7, he's teaching about um, um, the, 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 the rock and the sand, building your house upon the rock and then the sand. And then when he finishes pe preaching there in Matthew chapter 7, it says people were astonished at his teaching. This is who he is. He's wonderful. The word wonderful or the title in Hebrew actually means that he's, he's a miracle. He's supernatural and we know that. Isaiah 25, 1 says, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of our old are faithfulness and truth. Oh yes, he's the miracle working God who came to earth as a man and in him, as Colossians 2, 9 dwells, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What's interesting is mankind cannot comprehend Jesus, and yet children can believe on him. We, we can't even fully comprehend Jesus, and yet little babes, suffer not the little children to come unto him, he said. Little children have enough faith to believe on Jesus, and yet we, he's, incompar he, he's incomparable. We can't even comprehend all of the things that he is as being wonderful to us. He's our counselor. This word means to advise, to deliberate, or to resolve. It refers to our Lord's role as being our leader and guiding force. Proverbs 14, 12, I use this all the time, says there's a way which seems right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. But Psalm 37 and verse 23, the Bible says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Quit trying to figure out how you're to live your life and live it according to God's word. That's the best recipe for success. You want counsel, get it from the Lord. Proverbs 8 and 14, the Bible says, Counsel is mind and sound wisdom 
I am understanding, I have strength. His word counsels us. His word guides us. It offers grace to us. Oh, listen, he is wonderful. He is counselor. He is our mighty God. This means that God, the mighty man, it reminds you and I that Jesus is powerful and that he is our champion warrior. Listen, I don't need any other warrior. I got Jesus who battles and does business on my behalf. Is he doing business on your behalf? I pray he is because he's the mighty God. He's the one that's able to do it. It's only through Jesus that we're able to have the victory through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, now thanks be to God which always causes you and I to triumph in Christ and make manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. Oh yes, he's the mighty God. He's our everlasting Father. Again, when we talk about him being the everlasting father, it's speaking of him being wonderful because we go back to the fact that he was a child and yet he was our father. In other words, you know what Isaiah was saying? He was saying there's coming a time when there's going to be a son born, a, a child is going to be born and a son is going to be given and he's going to be your everlasting father. Why? Because he is your source for everything. He is your creator and he is your sustainer. He is the vine. You are the branch. Do you see what scripture is trying to remind us? There is nothing, there is nothing greater than the name of Jesus. Jesus said in John 10, 30, he said, I and my father are one. In John 14, 9, he told Philip, he said, hey, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the father because we're one. In Revelation 22, 13, Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Oh, listen, here's what I understand. When I was a child, I'm not discounting mom because mom carries a big stick. Am I right? Ladies, mom carries a big stick. I'm trying to throw you a bone here, right? But in my household... I knew who was in charge. My dad, if I got out of line, my dad had a way of correcting me. Hold on, you say, oh, that's, so, that's the problem with this country. That's the problem. Your dad was so vicious. Oh, do you know the Bible says whom the Lord loves, he chastens? I.e. corrects. And sometimes... It takes a little bit harder of a lesson for us to learn. Anybody ever had a lesson they had to learn that was not comfortable learning the lesson? But here's what I understood as a child. That my dad considered me to be his responsibility. Now watch, hold on. Jesus is our everlasting father. In other words, you, if you're in Christ, you and I are his responsibility. Hold on, now that takes on a whole nother level. So if I am his responsibility now, I'm in Christ. I'm headed for heaven, I can't help it. He's done everything he needs to. <laughs> but if he, I am his responsibility, sometimes he has to get my attention when I'm wandering, when I'm doing what I think is best instead of what he thinks is best, when I'm making decisions because I just feel like it. 
well, I just don't like that. I'm going to make this decision. I've done that before. Anybody else? You ever make decisions without, without getting counsel from our everlasting Father? I've done that. But I was reminded this week that I am his responsibility. And you say, what is the point? Well, hold on. If I'm his responsibility, that reminds me of the last thing that Isaiah said about him. He is the prince of what? Okay. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Well, here's what I want you to know. The word prince, watch it. The word prince means that he is the head person. <laughs> he is the head person. He is the captain. He is the chief, if you please. He's large and he's in charge. So if he's my everlasting father and he has the responsibility for me as my prince, what is he my prince of? He's the prince of my peace. Notice the word prince actually means, right, it comes from the Old Testament word shalom, and it means to be safe, to be well, or to be happy. So when we put the two titles together, we can see that Jesus, as I said, he's not only creator and sustainer of the universe, but he is creator and sustainer of my peace. He is in charge of my peace. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus reiterates his gift of peace by saying, Peace I leave with you. He's talking to his disciples. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Listen, this is the peace that I'm giving you. And he says to you and I, no matter whether it's Christmas time, Easter time, summertime, fall, winter, spring, it doesn't matter when it is. He says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6, he says, Be careful for nothing. Because I'm your everlasting father. I'm in charge. I'm the captain. I'm the chief of your peace. He said, so there's no reason to be fearful. There's no reason to live in a world of anxiety and fear. There's no reason to get this stuff getting you off track. He said, because I'm in charge of your peace. Now watch what he says. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. He says, let your request be made known unto God. Listen, you want to know why we don't have peace many times? It's because we're not letting our requests be made known unto God. We keep them all bundled up. We're like, oh, I can deal with it on my own. you no match for the devil. He hates you, and he hates me, and he hates this church, and he hates Christmas. That's why you got everybody celebrating everything under the sun except for Jesus at Christmas time. He says... I am your everlasting father. I am the prince of peace. He says it doesn't matter. In December of 22, you don't have to be careful for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, he says because I'm your father, because I'm the chief, because I'm the captain of your soul, he says you can let it be known. He says that when you let it known, what does he say? Keep reading. He says, verse 7, and the peace... Why? Because I'm in charge. I'm the everlasting father. I'm the prince of peace. You let it be known unto me. And the peace of God, which doesn't make sense to you, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through who? Oh, there's just something about that name. Who? The name of Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, the peace of God is not based on my circumstances or yours. 
It's, the peace of God is not based on how good I feel today. Because I can tell you I don't feel good today. But my peace is not based on my physical well-being. My peace is based on something greater than my physical uh, body today. My peace is based on something that will never, ever end. And his name is Jesus. And we ought to get used to saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's the sweetest name I know. Well, five of you woke up. But I'm not finished. Because I want you to look at verse 7 one more time. Because Jesus says, after you let your request and your prayers be known with thanksgiving, he says, and the peace of God. Now watch this phrase, it's coming. There it is, shall keep. That phrase, shall keep, in verse 7, comes from a Greek word meaning to be a watcher in advance. Not after the fact, but to be a watcher in advance. That is to mount guard as a sentinel. The idea is that God's peace will stand post and will guard against the aggression of any enemy that comes my way. So listen, whether I'm battling something physical, financial, emotionally, mentally, or any spiritually or anything, that I have the peace of God ruling and reigning in my heart through Jesus Christ my Lord, right? The Prince of Peace will stand guard. And watch over me in advance. Oh, the Prince of Peace deals with our past. The Prince of Peace governs our present. And the Prince of Peace holds a promise for the future. This world is not my home. You may feel troubled on every side. As Paul said, we are cast down. But I'm moving on. And one day, soon and very soon, I'll be with my Savior. Paul also wrote this. Show this last verse. In Colossians 3.15, he said, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you're also called in one body. And then notice what he says. He says, Be thankful. But what I want you to know is I've been talking to you about the everlasting Father who is the chief, the captain of our peace. He's the prince of our peace. But Paul says, let the peace of God, watch that word, rule. Let it rule in your life. Let the peace of God. And you want to know what that word rule means? Any baseball fans here? We used to have a team here in D.C. They gave it all away. The word rule there means to umpire. To umpire. Now let's dial it back. So what's Jesus saying? He says, listen, this Christmas, whatever's going on in your life, he says, bring your supplication, bring your prayers with thanksgiving unto me and the peace of God, which doesn't make sense, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, right? But he says, I also want you to know that that peace the peace of God is standing guard as a sentinel for you in advance. But I also want you to know, and I want you to be smart this Christmas. Allow the peace of God to umpire or make decisions for you and your family this Christmas. When we make decisions void of God, 
when we make decisions based on our own feel-good, fancy-free, what we want, I'm tired of this, I'm tired of that, or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You can apply it across the board. When we make decisions that are absent from the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we are in trouble. And Jesus is reminding us from His Word today, let my peace, let my peace be the ultimate umpire in your home. Hello. Let my peace be the ultimate umpire in your place of business, sir or ma'am. Let my peace be the ultimate umpire when you make decisions for your family and your friends, when you go into the marketplace and whatever you do. Let my peace rule. Let it be the one that makes the decision. Let my peace be the one that calls strikes and balls. Let my peace be the one that calls you out or safe. Quit trying to figure it out on your own this Christmas. There's no other name. There's no other name worthy of our honor, of our honor and our praise other than the name of Jesus. And if you don't know him, I pray that you will not turn that computer or that TV off. I pray that you will not leave this place without Jesus. You can call upon him right where you are. You can recognize him and say, Jesus, I need your help. You know, like Houston, we have a problem. Jesus, we have a problem. I need your help. I realize that you are the Savior of the world, and I am in need. I am in need of something wonderful. I'm in need of great counsel. I'm in need of the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Jesus, I'm in need of your peace today. And you can call upon him right where you're at. I pray that you'll do that. Father, we love you. We thank you for the time that we've had in your word. God, I thank you for giving me the ability to, to deliver your word. God, I pray now that you'll be honored and glorified through our time of prayer. As we sing a song of invitation, certainly we open up the altar for families to pray together, to praise you, to give glory to your name. Lord, maybe it's been a long time since we've just done that. I pray that we would do that while you're near. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody that doesn't know Christ, that today they will be bold enough, today that they will step out by faith, that they will call upon the name of the Lord. Oh, there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Today is the day of salvation, Lord. I pray that you'll have your will and your way and that you'll work as only you can as we recognize your greatness in this place and in this time. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you for what you've done and what you will do. And we give you the glory in advance. For it's in Jesus' precious and powerful name we pray and for his sake, amen.